Mac Football Pod. Before we get started with our previews today, we have three team previews to get over. Uh, Caleb, I just want to hear your reaction to this tweet that reads from at Mac Sports, tweeted today, Tuesday the twenty seventh, right before four o'clock. Tucson is going to be electric. Get ready for some action in the desert on New Year's Eve at Barstool Sports at Arizona Bowl. It was only a matter of time, I guess, for Barstool to sponsor one of these goddamn things. Your reaction. I hate Barstool. Screw them for partnering. Good Good enough. (laughs) Screw it. Screw them. I don't care. Oh, but they're paying some of the players. They're giving some some free free hoodies. Garbage organization. Garbage organization is right. Speaking of garbage organization, we have three Mac previews to get to right now. Uh, We're going to talk about Bowling Green. We're going to talk about Eastern. And we're going to talk about Toledo. Uh, We're going to do this, uh, you know, the next four weeks leading up to the season. And then we'll be able to preview week one once we finish up with these. Next week, we're going to hit on Akron Central and Kent State. So... Make sure you're subscribed to get all of this juice. Make sure you are a patron subscriber so you can get even more juice. You can get a six-pack of juice, essentially. Uh, get a lot of details that we may or may not cover in each of these preview episodes with stats, with coaching staffs, with my personal thoughts, so on and so forth. But, Caleb, before we even get going again, before we get going again, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. Uh, your thoughts as we kind of head into this 2021 season that's surrounded by, like last year was surrounded by doom and gloom. This year, it's one of the craziest off seasons we've ever experienced, ever. Like, I don't remember a summer of college football being this loud with so many things going on. Uh, and as we look forward to football, and as we focus our favorite part of the season on the most niche league possible, uh, like Caleb, what are your just general thoughts, you know, heading into the year? Uh, I mean, it's nothing that I haven't probably said before. I mean, we've, we, now that we've had media day, we, the only stuff that's come up has been NIL stuff and what's it like to have something of a possible return to normalcy. Um, and with, the, I don't feel any Conference different necessarily about a lot of these teams than I did before. And like just more excited it. about the fact that, you know, we have a full-fledged schedule. We get to see teams go through a growing process, go through the trials and tribulations of a full season. Um, there's certain teams that, you know, very interested in seeing them actually play the full campaign. So I'm more excited to see certain teams like Miami um, and Ohio obviously because they played fewer games um, than I might be in a normal season. Absolutely. Uh, but does that make you any more excited to uh, to watch Bowling Green? Or do you have to, like, is that still going to be a chore? Bowling Green's going to have to do something exciting for me to be excited about watching Bowling Green. Um, then we'll, we'll then we'll, we'll get to that point. Because, um, I mean, it's like you're just essentially rooting for them to have somebody do something exciting so you can be excited for them. It's like the same type of thing I thought with Tion Dollard. I mean, I had no reason to be excited about anything with Akron football. Now there's, uh, you know, is is Dollard back and is he productive? And then also is Cato Nelson going to have a magical senior season or something along those lines? So at least you're excited about Akron for some reason. 
uh, Bowling Green has to prove there's a reason to be excited. That's more analysis than you were looking for, for probably for Bowling Green. But uh, that's definitely how I feel about it. <laughs> no, if you want too much analysis for Bowling Green, this is the podcast for you. I guess we've got to talk about Bowling Green a lot in an episode that includes focusing on Bowling Green. I'm going to let you talk. You talk. <laughs> uh, we're, but we're going to stick with Bowling Green. They're going to be our first of three teams that we talk about. Uh, the Falcons last year went 0 and was it 0 and 5 because they had a game canceled. Otherwise, it would have been 0 and 6. Uh, 0 and 5, the Falcons went last year. Scott Loeffler's still there. This is a team that has, what, like 60 some freshmen? Uh, they're looking for for players. Like, they're just looking for guys that are like, you know, not only move the, you know, the program moving in the direction that the coaches want them to, but like, can they get enough guys that are good enough to see the field at the MAC level? That is, uh, I don't know. Like, I think they might already have some good talent there. I think the talent is at least there enough to compete in that fucking division. Um, but to put it all together and win some games, they have a better shot because they fired Brian Van Gorder. Oh, he retired. No, like his ass was asked to leave. Let's be real. Um, now they might actually have some sort of know-how when it comes to playing defense, but I don't know if they're going to have enough know-how to play some offense. You and I on our on our other channel on Mac Football Forever, many months ago, we kind of talked about the season that was, the 2020 season that was. We kind of wrapped things up uh, team by team, I believe we did. And I remember we talked about the quarterbacks that Scott Loeffler has coached basically ever since Tim Tebow. It's not a good list. It is, if you're looking for a guy that's like, oh, you know, yeah, I know how to coach some quarterbacks. Really? Really do you, man? Because it is not a good list. I'll type it out for you guys on, on the blog at some point. But, I mean, just looking at, like, the guys that are in charge of leading this program, we'll talk about the players in a sec. But, I mean, what's what's to buy into? Like, I don't – there's nothing about this coaching staff that excites me. Maybe Cato June, I guess, but I don't know. You can't sell me on that. No, nah, I mean <laughs> – I mean – I don't have much to say. Like, you're you're looking at a group a group that did lose several of its starters who were productive last year at the wide receiver spot. Um, you're bringing back a quarterback that really didn't have any type of measurable success. Um, maybe there's something somebody coming up that I'm unfamiliar with. Maybe another year working in the system makes Matt McDonald um, a workable quarterback. Uh, you lost a, a pro caliber player in Quentin Morris and. You lost linemen. Ortega um, Jones, too. He transferred to Texas State. They were the only two players on the team that had over 10 catches. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a barrel full of opportunity. Um, but uh, you're, there's like 50 poison apples in that barrel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's mean. I don't know. <laughs> I can't say they're, they're, they're outwardly bad at every position. I just don't know anything about them. There's no – Well, I mean – there's going to be a couple gems, I'm sure, but, like, nobody – there's no reason to believe they're going to be a good football team. Yeah, and, like, it's a pass-happy league, and it's a pass-happy college football era that we're living in at that. Uh, and they and the returning quarterback is the guy that, you know, oh, he would have started in 2019 for sure. He would have started in 2019 for sure had the NCAA, you know, just granted his waiver and all that. 
Boston College transfer transferred with Scott Loeffler when he took the you know uh, when he took up the new job and all that. Forty three percent completion, forty four. If I'm going to round up and be nice, one touchdown, six interceptions. Uh, no, no, that's not going to work. And you know you might be able to say like, oh, uh, he didn't have the uh, the whole ass offseason to work with his receivers. You know there there might be something to that. You look around the entire country, no one else is throwing at 44% like that. With the balls that were coming out of his hand, it just was not looking good. Maybe this Drew Gunther kid from Syracuse, maybe he's got something. Maybe this Tucker Melton kid, maybe Riley Keller, a couple of freshmen that they were very excited to sign out of Alabama and Toledo Whitmer, respectively. Maybe they've got something brewing, but man, it's just not a good starting spot. Like, you'd rather be trying to follow up with like oh the last quarterback we had was Ben Roethlisberger and the next guy won't be so good but you'd rather have that situation than like okay can anybody throw above 44% no Matt McDonald you're back out there it's just not a good starting spot yeah Uh, and I don't really know anything about the other quarterbacks that they've got on the roster either like you mentioned um the Keller kid from Toledo Whitmer um good football program in Ohio Mm -hmm. uh and You've got some other guys who I just don't know anything about. A couple of transfers, a um, couple of guys from the state of Ohio. So, I mean, even coming back, like, I suppose you can be excited about, like, Kyrion Stewart at running back. You can be excited about um, some of the linemen, maybe, that are probably making strides in camp because you're going to have to start freshman offensive linemen. That's just the position they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're more just celebrating the – the growth of whatever you're seeing early on and hoping there's something to build on. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like on that point too, yeah, there has to be something coming from the other positions too. Yeah. There's a lot riding on the quarterback position for sure. Um, but we don't really know. And you kind of hinted at it earlier. We don't really know what to expect out of this wide receiver group. I mean, don't, don't look, don't look, don't look. Can you name the one receiver last year who caught a touchdown pass? I mean, considering they only had one passing touchdown, if I remember correctly, I wouldn't be surprised That's if it one. was like Quentin Morris or something. So probably wasn't a wide receiver. <laughs> nope, Javante Kinsney. He's a six-five sophomore out of Jacksonville. Uh, he's got a he's got a friend that's uh, that's on the program too, also from the same high school. Um, but I mean, but that's it. I mean, like we just have to learn more. You know, it's not because, like, oh, you guys haven't looked over, like, the old tape and all that stuff. It's like, no, we did look at the tape, and this is the best we got. We're kind of shrugging our shoulders this whole time. Maybe him, maybe Jake Rogers, who has kind of made a little bit of name for himself at pump returns. Not too much, you know, still some improvement there. Um, but, yeah, they're, Bowling Green is desperate for answers. Uh, you said Terrion Stewart earlier, too. Led the team in rushing last year with a little under 300 yards, but average data carry, which is really good. Uh-huh. You know, you want to see that. Um, but if this team starts making steps forward, in what ways do you think it'll happen? Like, do you think that they're going to find a run game first and just kind of, like, go from there? Or do you think that, you know, Scott Loeffler is so confident in himself that making the next best quarterback that they're going to keep running out three receivers and hopefully one of them breaks through too. Man, I don't know. At this point, like, aren't you just kind of hoping that you're putting 
some super athletic freshman in space or something and you're just like finding finding somebody special like is that i mean stewart could have been one of the more talented freshman running backs but i had no way of confidently feeling good in that respect because you just didn't get to see him run behind a well-established offensive line and a consistent offense that knows what it's doing so um i think stewart could be one of those guys who maybe he makes the jump um but other than that like I think you probably won't see really any production on the offensive side of the football um, for Bowling Green until they're like in their third week of the season, because they open up with Tennessee and they, uh, Oh gosh, there was a, there's another, they go, they go to South Alabama. They play South Alabama as well. I have the the schedule up. So they're not in con. They're at Tennessee home against South Alabama, then Murray state. Uh, Then they're at Minnesota before they start Mac play, which is at Kent State, home against Akron at NIU. Yeah. Uh, and if you're and, a subscriber, you can uh, read the rest of it in the notes. But. Sure. And, they, I mean, they all, they've got Minnesota on the non-conference schedule as well. Um, Murray State's week three, and that's at home. Um, that's not to discount Murray State. They're, um, if I remember correctly, a good FCS program. Uh, but Yeah, Murray State might beat Bowling Green. Yeah, that, that also wouldn't be a surprise. But, again, like the only point I'm trying to make in that sense is you might see some guys produce who didn't produce – over the first two weeks of the season. Um, so maybe you have a better idea of who those weapons are going to be for the rest of the year by week three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you're going to really know much of anything about the team after the Tennessee game. Uh, I think that if they were com- competitive for them against Tennessee is, is likely 30 to six or something like that, or like 36 to three or something. And, in all likelihood, it's a 49-0 game or, like, you know, 56-7 to game with them scoring against Tennessee's third stringers. So you're not going to know really much of anything until they've had a chance to play competition that they match up well with. Maybe that, maybe South Alabama has – maybe they can. Uh, I mean, if, if we want to look at what Talir, what uh, Bowling Green's capable of, we can look back to year one under Leffler and think, oh, gosh, they really did upset Toledo. That's not something that happened in a fever dream. Um, they did things well defensively, and they made the game ugly, and find found a way to make plays. So maybe that's maybe there's something to that. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I, they, I think the like my biggest takeaway still in hindsight of that of that game is that Toledo was just caught flat footed. You know, they played well, again, they, they played each other again in 2020, and whose who's ass got kicked? Not I understand that. That's this is me looking for any reason to try to pigeonhole a way in which Bowling Green could find and something of an identity that gives them a chance to win football games. And uh, we, the only thing I can point toward is Toledo. That's the only thing you have. It's like, you have to, you can only like Bowling Green can only really have a chance to win games when the other team is flat footed. Like that's also not a very, it's not a sexy talking point, Alex. Nope. <laughs> uh, last thing that we kind of have to talk about with Bowling Green is uh, that defense, you know, it's rough, but I feel like, there's more potential for plays to be made by the defense. And I think there's more potential probably because we started seeing, you know, it actually like fruit into something like the younger players are going to like come out in their own in defense. Right. Because they're not sticking to a script that they have to follow with their plays. They have to like read and react and make a play like the best that their abilities allow them to Uh, like Jordan Anderson. He was in a, you know, he was one of the younger guys a couple years ago, and now he's an upperclassman. Still probably one of the better athletes on that defense at safety. Um, I could see him still making some noise, and I could see him, you know, 
getting after like the freshmen, like being the locker room leader and saying like, Hey, you know, I was not believed in either there. No one had any reason to believe in me until I started making plays. Um, and I think that's something that the freshmen are going to have to hear, you know, especially from that guy who still has years to go and years to grow. Uh, Darren Anders is an okay linebacker. Deata Burns almost transferred out. Uh, but he, I think he was like a safety last year, definitely a corner this year. And Carl Brooks is one of the better defensive ends in this league too. Um, yeah, I, I think that's actually a good good call there. The last second is Carl Brooks is a guy that um, when you check the box score, you know, created some some negative plays. And um, if you gotta you gotta have somebody off the edge who's gonna make some plays, or else they're gonna be in for a lot of <laughs> playing from behind. So, eh. Yeah, I think Brooks is one of those guys, and I think Anders is probably one of those guys that we'll probably talk more about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm curious to know if this Devon Ferguson kid, who I think he was, I'm, I'm not looking at it right now. I think he was like a middle three star recruit out of high school, but went to the same high school as the Patterson twins. Was like their high school teammate too, so that's kind of an interesting thing. But like, you know, doesn't really matter because he's not either of those either of those guys. But he got his start at Kansas too. So he got a little bit of a taste of, you know, being in the big 12, playing against better receivers um, and has a lot of reps of just being in coverage because you're playing big 12 defense at the time. Right. Uh, So I feel like that's got to help him a little bit, but I do wonder if he adds some sort of help to that defense, which needs it in every spot possible. You know, I still think this defense has a lot of... Like, I mentioned one good defensive end, Carl Brooks. I don't know if they have a good defensive line at all. I still think that this is a team that could get run over if you have a strong enough running back. And a lot of these East teams, like, they have better running backs than you probably expect. Like, I know Tuggle is the first that comes to your mind, but I could still list off, like, five more just in that East. Um, So there's a lot of potential for Bowling Green to get run over if they don't, you know make sure that the interior defensive line is shored up. Yeah, I've exhausted my uh, my Bowling Green talking points, my friend. Uh, I, I have a couple more. I have a couple more. Uh, just like a couple names that I want to hit on just as like, <sighs> could these be freshmen that they, they – you know, I'm not asking for a comment on a view. But like are these <laughs> freshmen that, that could be something? Uh, Diego Neri is a linebacker that they like. Nick Mosley is a running back that they like. But here's a couple of transfers that might be – of note, both from Dearborn. Um, Tommy Guajardo, a tight end, he transferred from Michigan State after his freshman year, as did Ali Saad, a defensive end, defensive tackle, defensive tackle actually, out of Minnesota. Uh, They have a lot to prove because they haven't seen the field at all, you know, at their Big Ten schools. But now that they're at Bowling Green, I definitely expect to see them on the field. Uh, hopefully, Hopefully it means something to them. But, but that's really all I've got for Bowling Green. Hey, speaking of green, Eastern Michigan. There we go. There we go. Now we're talking some football here. Now we're getting closer to a good culture. Now we're getting to a good culture. Uh, do you, you know, what's your thoughts? You know, I, I have a lot of positive thoughts, and I also have a lot of negative thoughts. But overall, when it comes to this Chris Creighton era, you know, watching what he's done, what he what he took over after Ron English ran things to the ground pretty bad, how Chris Creighton kind of dealt with his bruises in his first three or four years, and now 
Easterners perpetually in like one score games. You know, through your lens, what is this Chris Creighton era at Eastern Michigan been like? Well, it's bringing him back to respectability. Um, I feel like I'm saying this again as we head into this. It's 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 a talking point you talk about every time when you talk of Chris Creighton. He's brought the program back to respectability. Everybody knows they have to expect Eastern Michigan. Um, you might have somebody who doesn't know anything about the team is going like, "Oh, Eastern Michigan, they were so and so record last year. They don't have a chance. This team doesn't. Eastern doesn't have a chance. It's going to be a twenty-one point spread, eight twenty-eight point spread. Nah, you, you never really expect Eastern to get trounced. You might go into a game and think, "Oh, they're not going to beat them," but you don't ever expect Eastern to to get like rolled. So, in that sense, every the the entire Creighton era's era's success because everything he's had to work, to, given what he's had to work with and what that program is like, and uh, what the culture was coming in, like yeah, it's all success. So, um, more than anything this year, I'm most excited about a couple defensive guys who are upperclassmen, and then uh, a couple young guys who showed out on the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, there's some quarterback stuff that we'll get into that um, is interesting, and then uh, you know, can they establish a run game? Which the last time I brought that up, Alex laughed. So, um, do with that what you will. Maniacally, yeah. I laugh maniacally. Uh, but I kind of want you to lead the way on this, like. And you, you're excited to talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, I like the way that it's been built. I like that the way it's taken the same approach that Miami has, which, like, you absolutely need to find your stars at the safety positions at free, at strong, and at rover, um, or at dog, however you want to define the hybrid linebacker. Or, you know, you know what I mean, that safety that's always running around. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done a good job of finding their guys there. They've kind of... They're still kind of working out their cornerbacks. They're trusting some younger guys over, like, uh, Freddie McGee. I saw that he's actually the number two corner now at his spot. Um, but the way that this defense is, like, what's your thoughts on, like, some of the playmakers that you might find um, across the defense but a little bit more focused on the defensive backs that's secondary? Well, sure. I mean, Nasky LaFleur is a guy who's, like, a freaking revelation <laughs> on the defensive side of the ball for starters. and. Um, it's, it's easy to think like, oh, he hasn't been around that much. He's just, you know, he's getting his feet wet, but he's a transfer too. He came from Coffeyville Community College. and um, But he's a guy who really established himself in a shorter season last year and was a real playmaker. So, um, you know, he's really worth being excited about. And I kind of get the sense that there's always like a, a freshman or a sophomore who really leaves their mark um, on the defensive side of the football, either in the secondary or, you know, a corner or safety spots. So, I'm sure we'll see that from somebody I don't know um, enough about the depth there to know, to really suggest who that might be this year. Um, but, you know, they, they, they go relatively deep and they've got guys from all over the country. They do Chicago decently well on recruiting. They go south. Uh, they go to, they get Michigan like they need to. Um, and they bring in, they, they bring in, they, they bring in new guys, um, on the defensive side of the ball, one comes to mind. It's like Carter Evans, and it's I'm veering away from defensive back, but that's another one of those guys who seems like he could be a, a really good hybrid defensive end, and he's a true freshman, so we probably won't see it for a little bit. And then there's the more obvious guys that we'll talk about at the uh, defensive line spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, guys, I kind of want to look like Corey Hernandez is also a good guy too. Like he started his career out in Arkansas, went JUCO after that, and now he's at Eastern. A uh, couple years experience. He's he's done really well for himself. One guy I'm looking out for, new guy. Here's a new name, uh, is Brandon Benson, who went to Bucknell, 
and was like a four-year, essentially a four-year player, maybe a three-year starter. I can't remember how many games he started his freshman year, but I know he definitely like got some serious playing time as a freshman. Um, I think he was actually like third on Bucknell's team in total tackles as a true freshman too. Crossed the 200 tackle mark through the shortened senior year that he had with the spring season where they only played like four games and he was still like a first team all-conference free safety. He's a guy that could come in and like maybe – I don't think he's going to play right away. You know, I don't think that – well, let me say it like this. I don't think he's going to get the majority of the snaps across the safety positions because Eastern's already got answers. They already have guys. But Benson's another dude that they can plug in and put him at various safety spots because he wasn't just a free safety. He was one of the rover types too. You know, he's a guy that you could plug in on third down and force him into, you know, coverage positions if that is actually his strength. And plug him in and see what you can do on, like, those third and long situations and make coverage a little bit harder. You know, make those passes – you know, force them to be a little bit more precise when they're going out to the receivers downfield. Um, he's someone that I'm hoping can make a name for himself in that regard, too. I know some people are going to point to, like, this Jared Paul guy who is from Rutgers. I think he might be a little bit younger and might still have some time in the system before you actually see him on the field. But with Benson, like, time's up for him. This is, like, his last shot of playing college football. So um, that's kind of why I mentioned him. The defensive line is good like it is a good unit it's not the best defensive line in the mag i don't even think it's the second best it's definitely up there though i just don't know how good it is because it just needs to create a little bit more havoc like i don't know if it's getting to the quarterback more i personally think it's causing more fumbles i think that has to be you know, something that they step up. They, they're they doing okay at it, but they just need to take another step this year. But still, I do trust, like, the depth of this defensive line from interior to exterior. Um, you know, and you mentioned the Stagner kid, or not Stagner, um, Evans, you know, the freshman from uh, somewhere in Illinois. Yeah, yeah. Is there anybody else that really excites you, though? Uh, well, I mean... I think that, like, I mean, if we're talking about defensive line, Teron Rush is a guy that, um, not a humongous dude. He's like 6'2", 245. He's built like a lot of teams' linebackers will be at a bigger school. But, like, he, physicality-wise, is going to be really fun to watch this year just because of um, his athleticism, his combination of athleticism and, and strength. Yeah, he's a good uh, power rusher. He's a really impressive-looking dude on and off the football field. He does have nice hair. Like his hair, like his hair is pretty crazy. It's really nice though. Like I really like his hair. So I, <laughs> I do like his hair. Yeah. So it's very nice uh, off the field. Yeah. If anybody doesn't know, if you take a go, let's take a look. He's got really like he's got like big, thick, like pink or re- pinkish reddish locks and whatever. Um, it looks really cool. It's not like a lot of hairstyles I've seen before. Um, let's see the. Uh, oh gosh, who else? Um, I'm sure there'll be another. I mean, a linebacker is where they they're they're pretty strong too as well, but. Um, as far as the defensive line goes, I mean, um, they've got they they like they do always with secondary guys and defensive guys. They bring in guys from community colleges, transfers from other schools. Um, I don't know anything about like, for example, like Jordan Crawford. Is that a guy that 
like you, you see guys like from like these community colleges in Texas and my mind, my mind goes, hmm, that's a big dude. Is he one of the types of guys? Cause he's six, one, three fifty. Yeah. He's, he's gotten some reps last year. He, he got like playing time his first year at Eastern. I feel like he always had to come off though. Cause with like some sort of injury, like that kept nagging him on like week in and week out. He's still productive as hell. Uh, not like starter, not like he's not the number one on the depth charts right now though, but he's a very good and like he's 350 pounds. He's yeah. a big guy. That's hard to block. That's hard as hell to block on the interior. So if you're running yeah. back, you don't want to run at him. <laughs> they've got a lot of young guys that will have to develop on the defensive line too. Like sure. They've got some experience in defensive line. The, uh, uh, rush is the most notable name on the line. Um, but I think you'll probably have some other guys that have a chance to leave a mark on the edge. Um, somebody will be able to chance to either increase their playing time from the start of the season, and or they'll have or they'll have they'll figure something out early. I'm not really sure yet. But other than that, they do have a ton of young defensive linemen on that roster. So assuming that this defense does, and and I'm going to shout out the linebackers, Tariq Space and Terry Myrick, because I know you. Yeah, really I, good. I figured they had like, to get like Myrick is Myrick's really good. He cleans up really nicely. Um, hmm. You know, I assuming think he's one that, of the best defensive players. I think he might be the best defensive player in the conference this year. I think mm, that's a possibility. Hmm. Interesting. I do like. I, I mean, I do like the hype. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep it with you. But <laughs> uh, assuming that the defense holds its own like it should, assuming that it creates enough turnovers to put that offense back on the field, and playing in that division in the West, you definitely want to get Toledo's offense off the field. You definitely want to get Western's offense off the field. So you better force them into getting some turnovers. Uh, giving the ball to the offense, though, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you trust Eastern's offense on any given drive? Uh, three? Mm. Uh, I mean, they have good wide receivers. That still remains to – that's still the case. Um, um, they have – decent tight ends as well size mm-hmm. and athleticism at those spots and you know you bring back eh, if i'm if i'm remembering correctly i think that they still are developing guys at some of those offensive line spots that should be better this year i don't remember what they had in terms of like seniors exiting out the door but um you know and, and boone you never you again you don't really know how good darius boone is at the running back position because they just didn't yeah, and, and he was also like hurt for like I think like half the year last year. But like he has like of the bunch, at least of what we've seen, he's done the best job of getting big plays last year in like whatever limited time he could find on that field. And Evans has done a good job of like you know lowering the shoulder and like being the you know being the strength of it all too. Not that Boone isn't strong or whatever. Yeah, Neither they they have done. Like it's not not so much in the last couple of years, but under Creighton, they've had some very decent running backs. They've had a decent run game from time to time. That's not to say that it was ever really really good, but they've had good running backs. They've had good athletes at their spots. So I like, I want to see them show that they're they're going to revert back to that. And they're not going to have to rely on big chunk plays um, through the air to ever get the offense going with any consistency. So, mm-hmm. um, because frankly, when you aren't recruiting the better athletes in the conference and you're in the situation you are at Eastern, you can't like, you can't like, we already talked about this too. We, you can't run like the air raid. You can't be 70, 30 pass like they were at times last year and expect to have consistent success 
because you don't have the better athletes at those skill spots. You're you aren't out scheming them. No, no, like their two best, like their two most relied upon receivers, at least last year, are former walk-ons. Yeah, they've developed good players. Surprise, surprise! You get to Eastern, you you if you're if you're if it fits you right and you put in the work, you tend to get become a lot better football player. Um, there's a part of me that there, it almost benefits them in one sense that like it's kind of unconventional in the sense that. Some guys at Eastern don't really develop into really good football players until they're like in their junior and senior season. Again, again, not world breaking stuff that happens in a lot of senses, but right, right, like their right. best players, I feel do that. And so they're really at no threat of ever losing those players. And they were never the most highly recruited in the first place anyway. I mean, I think in, and if you're looking at the world this year and you're looking, or you're looking at college football landscape right now, and if Max Crosby had, had done what he'd done, um, say he did it this year, and he had one year left and he was like a super senior, surely he's out the door, right? Like somebody oh, yeah. like him, like is going to a big 10 school. Eastern's not really in a position to have to worry about that right now. Uh, I, am I wrong to say that Eastern might have like the best one, two combo of tight ends in the Mac when it comes to Odukoye and Cannon, or am I just being too much of a fan here? Well, they have two very good athletes that, in isolation i feel like are about as good as anybody any two that like max schools can put on can put out there mm-hmm. how they use them is an entirely different thing i don't know that the offense really uses them enough like they changed it a little bit last year or they they, they you know they used them a little bit more considering how much they had to throw the ball um but like nothing nobody comes to mind immediately i'm sure i'm forgetting somebody that has a couple of really good tight ends but I mean, they they stack up they they uh, stack up comparably as well as any like one two tight end pair. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, we talked so much about this offense. We not once did we even talk about a quarterback. That's how you know we really like this league. Um, Preston right. Hutchinson comes back as the starter. Uh, maybe Ben Bryant has something else to say about it. His time with the team is going to be shorter than Hutchinson's at this point. Um, you know graduation is going to be a lot closer for him but hutch last year was his first full year quote unquote full year as the starter wasn't the most efficient you know made a lot of mistakes both passing and running they trusted him a lot more you know running the ball too with doing a lot of read options but i feel like they kind of mashed the uh the mesh concept a lot like they really went heavy with like that's how we're going to throw the ball a lot we're going to throw a lot of mesh um and and to some degree it worked especially in that western game like if your defensive backs don't know how to reassign themselves on the fly uh yeah defenses are going to be in for a long day but uh that's not to say that hutch is like the better quarterback for it bryant fits more the mold of if eastern at all wants to implement some air raid into its offense Ben Bryant's going to come into the game. They're not going to put Ben Bryant in to run read option or play mesh. Um, but I don't know. Like, what? Like, what matters? To, like, what matters to you when it comes to looking at this quarterback position for Eastern? I don't know. I don't know if that's really a clean, clean, uh, clean question for you. But are you really confident in Hutchinson? Do you think that they need? Ben Bryant to like take over at this point for Eastern to rise above the fifth place expectations in the West. 
I mean, you having a better quarterback, but not like a well put together offense as a whole, doesn't do enough for them to like do any better than like fourth. And I picked I picked them to be fifth, and their defense is gonna be good, and their offense is gonna be a work in progress. I don't have any reason to think that they're gonna like win a majority of their games this year. So changing the quarterback doesn't change enough because again, they don't have superstar receivers. They have good receivers. They have guys who are like, you've already mentioned guys who are like walk-ons guys who are lowly recruited who came in and made the best of their situation have done really good work. Um, they're not going to be better than half the teams in the Mac at passing the ball. They're not, they're going to be on the bottom end of the Mac and running the ball. They're not going to do anything offensively better than half the league. So you've, I guess you've got to hope that the the upside is it's just a significant improvement in terms of balance from last year, and that the defense controls the tempo of the game, controls the out that like the the makeup of the football game. And if you're Creighton, I'm sure that's what you want anyway, in terms of how you have what you've done with this program over the years. So nothing, the offense can only get better to the point that it makes chances for them to win games more frequent i guess which again this is already a team that plays close games so there's nothing really about the bryant transfer that excites me that much because even if he's a lot better the offense isn't going to be vastly improved i I don't think there's really a scenario where it is uh yeah i think the receiver room is going to be pretty decent like like badoon a lot i like dylan drummond a lot uh, Tanner Canoe, he showed up. He he showed up to be pretty I good. I, I was actually pretty impressed with them. You we know? all like that guy. <laughs> uh, but you know, some newcomers are actually worth like getting excited about, especially if Eastern decides to pass the ball a lot more. Uh, it might go to some of these newcomers like Dennis Smith, Eshan Stewart. They transferred from Duke and Oregon State. Uh, Latrell Fordham was set to go to Ball State, but Ball State's receivers coach in 2019 uh during like the 1920 offseason left for colorado state so he ended up not going to college really uh, he went to a school didn't play college football um but he comes to eastern with full eligibility so hopefully you know he matters because he's going to be a good get uh michigan guy too um i he's pretty promising to me there i know they're also excited about this zach westmoreland kid uh, from Joplin, Missouri. He's a freshman, so just some names to be on the lookout for. But I just want to point out the schedule to you, and then we can move on to Toledo after this. Um, home against St. Francis at Wisconsin, at UMass versus Texas State. Then they start their max schedule with NIU, Miami, Ball State, and Bowling Green, too. They also draw Bowling Green on the road, which is a very, very lucky get for Eastern. You like that for them. Love that. Um, is this a bowl team, though? Is this a bowl team? Well, why don't we take a look at the at the non-conference schedule, Alex? St. Francis at Wisconsin yeah. at UMass, home okay. against Texas State. A lot of people were they like three and ones there, but also two three and, and ones there. there. Two and two is most likely. Three and ones there. They can do that. Um, from there. It's, I, I, can we? Can I take a second to make fun of the state of UMass football? Please, please, please make fun of Massachusetts. <laughs> they, play, they played one game and got railroaded. <laughs> like, just don't even have a season. <laughs> it's still so funny to me that they tried. 
like it's so it's so it's so cold-hearted of me to like make fun of him in that sense but like it's still funny to me that they even tried um so yeah okay enough of that um starting off right from the get-go with northern illinois in dekalb they've you know two years ago they won a game at at niu no reason to think they couldn't do so again but also very interested looking forward to seeing if niu is the improved team that we're wondering if we'll finally see again i picked niu to be last in the west so i don't expect them to be that vastly improved um but we saw things last year that led me to believe that niu could be a an okay team in the season. I just, I need to see it first. Um, and then they face Miami and then ball state. You got a particularly rough slate of things, but you know, um, you got them at home. You know what? Yeah, I mean, they're going to lose both those games. They're going to lose to Miami and they're going to, they're going to lose to ball state. Despite the fact those are both at home sucks, but they are. This isn't going to bite me at all in the butt when something happens later. Um, and then you got Bowling Green and Toledo. So one win you should get there, right? And maybe you win one of those two games. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that the fire department coming to like spray out your hot takes over there? Yeah, I suppose. Um, but then you look at the back end of the schedule, and they got to find a way to win at least one of those games. And between um, Ohio... At home and Western at home, maybe, right? Yeah, and then at Central on the road. It's it's going to be hard, man. Like, that last that last third of the schedule, Toledo, Ohio, Western Central, that's not going to be easy, man. It's just not. I think if I had to predict right now, I'd say the only game that, like, could be potentially an upset in this season is going to be um, Toledo or Ohio. I don't think they win any of those other Mac games other than the ones they're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to beat Bowling Green. Um, but I think they're, you know, they're going to lose to Miami and Ball State. I think they beat Bowling Green. And then between Toledo and Ohio, they got to find a way to win one of those games and then one of the other games. Because I don't think they're going to beat Toledo and Ohio. I don't think they're going to beat Western and Central. you got to win one of Toledo and Ohio. You've got to win one of Western and Central. That's how you become a bull team if you're EMU. Well, recent history tells me that they're probably going to beat Western. <laughs> well, if there's not enough like of a fire lit under their asses about losing that game last year, like it's it's you know it's it should be, but we know we all know how things go toward the back stretch of the season for Western Michigan. Toledo. We're going to talk about Toledo for a little bit, and I know that you're going to be uh, a very negative Nancy about it. Which is fine. I, I welcome it. I'm just gonna ask you to uh, to not be so negative and just kind of let's let's focus on like what Toledo actually does have going good for them because it's, can we can we skip talking about the recruiting aspect of this because we do this every time we talk about Toledo. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course we are going to, but we're just gonna fast forward to what the recruiting has led to, which is probably ah. the most talent rich roster in the league on both sides of the ball, hands down. I don't. I don't care if defense. I would certainly question that statement defensively, but they've got some talent on the defensive side of the football. They have the best defensive line in the league. They've got the most potential on the defensive line. I don't think you're going to have it put together in the same way that, like Buffalo, Miami, or um, or even EMU has. Like the fact that you think that they I mean, have they did the put it together last year. Like that defensive line, they absolutely did. They had good players. What did they do? Results wise, like, did they create the most fumbles in the Mac? Am I missing that? Like, did they really shut anybody out, slow anybody down? Like, not really. 
No, they lost in other ways. But, uh, you know, the coaching staff is not one that's won a lot of praise as we kind of thought it would when, like, Jason Candle did get hired up after Matt Campbell left. Things obviously have not gone over well after the 2017 uh, championship run. They did make enough changes. They did make sizable changes. Like, they hired Craig Kuligowski, who is... Uh, I mean, check out his bio. He He's a really impressive guy as a get. Uh, Toledo grad, coached, you know, some of the highest-ranked football you can find, especially at Alabama, you know, sent guys to the NFL, came to Toledo, and, and has made, you know, a noticeable difference for some of those players on the defense. Um, Vince Carey, is, he's a guy that is from the defensive coordinator, Guy that's from oh my god I'm blanking on the name right now Why Mount Union Mount Union yeah okay it was Mount Union I was I thought I was like no it's not Mount Union no definitely that uh, and Rob Weiner you know long time head coach quarterback guy out of the Tampa area coached um oh my god I, I think he coached <laughs> Philip Ely um, coached coached a number of guys though coached uh, Aaron Murray as well. Coached one of the quarterbacks that transferred over from Georgia Tech to Toledo over the over the winter too. Uh, he's helped the quarterbacks turn things around. Like both of them that saw the field, Eli uh, Eli Peters and Carter Bradley, they both looked a lot better than what they did in 2019. Peters is uh, you know medically he's retired from the game. Bradley. You know, it's been a long time coming, and I'm just excited to finally see, like, what potentially a full year out of him finally looks been, like. Yeah, he's been handed the keys to the van, and he's ready to go. Yeah, and, like, it's not like he's coming off that bad 2019 season when he's handed the, you know, handed the keys. If he were, I'd be a little bit more shaky. Uh, but he, you know, even in, like, the bad 2019 season, I still tried to tell people, like, hey, yeah, he threw, like, 48%, but, like, just... Take it with a grain of salt, will you? Like, he's still really good. I believe in him so hard. And so that's why I was happy to see, you know, the year that he had last year in 2020. Uh, let me read off a couple of stats for you because people like that shit. Uh, Carter Bradley in four games. He was 55 of 89 uh, through nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Got to clean that part up. But he was still over 60% passing. Um, average 212 yards a game, if that matters at all. And, and Eli Peters, too, uh, was completing things at 68%, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. Definitely better than the years that they had before. And at receiver, they're, they're pretty good. Like, I like Isaiah Winstead a lot. Bryant Kobach kind of turned into a better running back as a receiver option, too. I like that moving forward. I like some of these receivers that kind of broke through, like Sherwan Newton. I like Devin Maddox. Uh, Bryce Mitchell, he's still around. Danzel McKinley Lewis has probably been around since like the camp, the the Matt Campbell days, I think. Yeah, I mean they're still going to continue to have a lot of guys that can produce in the wide receiver room, and uh, it's it's funny when so Alex and I being in a Mac football fantasy league, it's I don't feel ever very confident in which Toledo player I'm choosing any given week because. You're like, oh, McKinley Lewis could have had 100 yards on three catches and two scores, or uh, Isaiah Winstead could have just hauled in a bunch of passes, or um, some freshman that we've never heard of might have their breakout game just because they always have talented guys at that spot. So it's 
it literally just any given week, like Bradley might be slinging it to any one of like seven or eight guys that can just pick up either five or six catches or go for 80, 90 yards. And so I think that's what's, it's going to be, I think it's gonna be really easy to fall on the two, the trap of expecting Toledo to run rough shot through the, over the league again, because there's they're early in the season. They're probably going to have a game or two where they just offensively are terrorizing defenses. They're probably going to, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised at all. If you have one of these games, they're, you know, putting up 50 points and for 600 yards and everybody's like, holy crap, Toledo's got it again. They're ready to um, have the best offense in the league. And, you know, the potential is always there, but uh, I don't want to fall into the trap of expecting Carter, calling Carter Bradley, like, oh, the best quarterback since so-and-so. No, but I feel like he's like, if (sighs) he might be like top four when it's all said and done this year, like those four being like, Crom Ellaby, Plitt, and Bradley being somewhere in that range. Of- just in terms of, like, recent era Toledo quarterbacks. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, I'm just talking about, like, quarterbacks in the league right now. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry, I missed what you said. Um, and you know what? Like, I think to an extent what Alex was saying about the defensive line, like, I think they, you know, they do have talent. And, and, I, and I look into it a little bit more, and it's like, okay, their production-wise, defensively, the front seven was really good. And it's easy to forget it, as I obviously did, because the results weren't there at the end of the year again. Um, the defense being that much better and still bringing back what they do, both in the secondary and on the defensive line, the margin for error for Toledo is bigger this year. They shouldn't be in a position where they just absolutely drop the ball. However, this is Toledo. They might do that because that's what they just tend to do. I do think the March of Error is bigger, and they should not. I don't know. I didn't pick them to you know, be first. I didn't pick them to finish second in the West, and so my expectations are still for them. This is like, okay, so let me just say that Toledo, like, you know, I'm getting fired up about Toledo, so now here, here it comes. Um, Toledo should be one or two in the West. I don't think they will be. But I'm basically going against the very logic I, I use to like determine where I think teams are going to be. Usually, it's you got to show me what you're capable of. And for Toledo, it's like, well, I've seen what their offense is capable of and their defense is capable of, but I'm still picking against them. But again, it's all based on history. It's all based on them falling apart. Yeah, I, tr- I know, and like I tried to like tell you too, like I, like I know I fall in that trap too. I just don't want to rely too much on the memes I put themselves in, right? Like, if I only looked at Mac football through that way, there's no way I'm saying Ball State's any good. Well, we have we have proof. <laughs> all the same players are back. <laughs> almost, yeah. um, almost all the same players from the team that did the did the work, put in the, like, those extremely impressive wins toward the end of the season, they're all back. The coach who turned it around is back. Everybody's there. Nobody left. Mm-hmm. There aren't the only question marks are just like, can the defense carry over from the end of last year what they were doing toward the end of the season? Mm-hmm. That for me, that's the biggest question. And and if they don't, then you know they got to figure it out some at some point during the year if they want to be a championship team again. But Toledo has enough questions that I feel much more confident, like Ball State, for example. So yeah, for obvious reasons. Yeah, and like all those guys that were on the field when Western did the fake spike, you know, and like you said, like they're still back. Those guys are still back. But so are those same coaches who, like, 
three or four drives right before that play even happened, when they're like going back over the film and looking over like what went wrong and all that stuff like throughout the game, not just that one play obviously that everyone remembers, um, but like towards the end when there was about like three minutes left in the game and they were in the red zone, uh, Western just let Toledo score after they picked up a, a yeah. crucial first down. Toledo should have taken a knee and just let that clock bleed oh, a little bit. Toledo more. was the better team the majority of the game. Yeah. But and, but Toledo, Toledo. So that's why that happened. Yeah. So just little teaching moments like that where they have all those guys back when they're like, okay, we all screwed up sometimes as players, but also mostly as coaches, we kind of screwed up. Let's not screw up again while we still have this same hungry pack instead of trying to like indoctrinate like our hunger into the next guy in line you know, next man up mentality if they had to deal with, like, those players graduating from those those boo-boo plays, right? Um, hopefully Toledo knows how to, like, write the ship from there. Uh, I, I point out the defensive line earlier. I kind of want to say that so, so we can end this thing at some point. Uh, Deswan Johnson, probably one of the best defensive, yeah. defensive tackles in this league, if not the best. Jamal Hines, I mean, he's also incredibly good. Deontay Johnson, no, not that one. Uh, this other one. Uh, linebacker, but still incredible. It's still really incredible. Terrence Taylor, another defensive end. I haven't listed off anybody with fewer than four and a half tackles for loss last year. Uh, and some of these guys have had, like Jamal Hines, had a pick six. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a <laughs> lot know? of production. Like they have some versatility and some kick assness. It's a lot of production to bring back on a defensive line group that was like I think like top three mm-hmm. in like defensive rushing yards per game, and then. Um, I think that was like, as far as production went, like they made such a big leap last year that I, I mean, frankly, it's just for, it's, you just forget it. You, you forget it happened. I already did. So maybe if that's carried out, I mean, assuming it is carried over because look at all the freaking preseason, all Mac type players that mm-hmm. they've got, like you should expect them to be, have, have one of the better defenses in the league. Yeah. And I like if this judge I'm Culpepper, yeah, if this judge Culpepper kid, is as good as advertised and like I think I think it was Phil Steele that I read that like had Culpepper again who hasn't played a down right in the Mac and barely even played defense mostly special teams when he was at Penn State he's already kind of penciled in as a preseason all Mac guy he's already being talked about in that kind of light so I don't I'm not expecting him to meet that I'm just I'm just not because I haven't talked to people to say that to me and I haven't sure. seen him myself but a lot of other people believe in him, and those people are going to put him on the field. Maybe he's adds more talent, adds more depth, adds more immediate starting talent to that defensive line group, which I already think is the best defensive line unit in the in this league. Maybe the best well, single unit. I don't know. Well, Alex is really, really staking it hard for the Toledo defensive line, and so maybe we'll see him prove him right this year. I don't know. I but mean, otherwise, yeah. This is one. This is a. This is a time of the year where we're getting pretty close to when uh, I would start reading, you know, preseason stuff from beat writers and stuff. And it's gonna. It sucks to think that this year you're really heading into a season where there's less coverage than there's been in decades, <laughs> as far as. Wonder uh, why. <laughs> Wonder why. Local beat writers covering mm. teams, um, even just off the top of my head, like you know, as the former NIU beat writer. Um, they're going to ask the sports editor who already juggles like six local, seven local high schools to be 
the the guy who covers everything. Um, they'll have to free. They'll probably have to end up freelancing out some stuff, like a lot of significant stuff from local coverage, because they just haven't hired anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got like Toledo and Bowling Green. That's not gonna. That isn't gonna have as thorough coverage. Akron will probably have thorough coverage as long as George Thomas is employed by the paper. When George Thomas, you know, takes his retirement, his well-deserved retirement, he'll probably they'll probably drop off the face of the map in terms of Akron coverage. And it's just on and on and on. It's like Eastern has like TV people, right? But it's not like sexy for TV anyway. So it's not like they cover them like religiously. And there's no consistent um, coverage from like a major paper. So you get the student newspaper, what you get like the Echo, right? Am I thinking of the right place that maybe covers them more in writing than anybody else? <laughs> yeah, that's really saying something. Because, uh, yeah. I, uh... So in a lot of cases, this is all to say, that in like two or three weeks, I'd like to know a lot about these teams, but you know, it never really matters until you actually see the product on the field. But as football fans, we love to know what's happening anyway. And I will have very little knowledge because so many places are not hiring sports journalists yeah, or investing. Been, yeah, in them. yeah. We can go on this tangent forever. And like, but we know news, newsrooms have been shrinking uh, a lot over time, not just in the past three years, but over the past, I don't know how long have we been alive for, Caleb. Because basically that. Um, Man, I'm, it's on. I'm, I'm gonna be 28 in September, bro. I haven't asked you your thoughts on uh, on realignment and everything that's going on in the world. Hmm. Just a quick thought on that. Just a quick thought on Texas and Oklahoma, and if we're gonna feel any waves of that here at home. I mean, it seems to me. Do I seem old school if I say this, or is it just is it lazy? I think it's stupid, frankly. I yeah, no, no, you should be pissed about it. I think it's fr- it's straight up just dumb as shit, and I think it's really more than the only thing it's about. And it's not like it's not being it's not like it's transparent about that. It's it's just one big money grab to shore up that the stream of money continues to come in in a way that you can control, and nothing else really matters after that. So. You can talk about how much you care about like the values of the program. You talk about like what's important about college athletics. This has nothing to do with the athletes themselves and everything to do with how much money they can bring to the university. It's kind of gross. It's pretty gross. And it's not to say I wouldn't watch Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. That's not what I'm saying. I get why they're doing it. I'm saying it's freaking gross. And I frankly am really disgusted that it's happening. But I'm not, not enough to like go out there and just – Shout out my hot takes on social media. You asked me, so I'll tell you. Um, but it is one of those things where, um, you know, if, someone, if, if, if I have an opinion, I do. I don't feel like getting into an argument about it with anybody. I don't think it's worth it. But it's it's dumb. It, I, I hate it. 